Today's Galazzo is totally pazzo about a ragazzo from Napoli. Un scugnizzo by the name of Fabio. Fabio. And we're going to talk about the Champions League draw a bit. Have a first look at Mancini's Italy and discuss the return of the Belusca. That's right, the great Andrea Napoleone with his Qualiera Boom Boom to bring us into another edition of Golazzo with James Horncastle. Hello. And it's a big welcome back to Gabriele Marcotti. Great to be back. And may I just say, Naples. Yes. And they have a radio station called Radio Kiss Kiss. Mm-hmm. There is no city in the world that celebrates its local footballing heroes with these sort of impromptu, possibly illegally sampled songs the way how Naples many, does. How many other Napoli players have had songs? Maradona, Qualiera now, but have actually kind of commercially released songs? Lavezzi's had one. Uh-huh. Gargano. Uh-huh. Um, obviously, Edinson Cavani. How did the Cavani one go? I don't remember, but they're all on YouTube. Cavani, boom, boom. <laughs> oh, stop it! Cavani! This is And how many how many people have watched that? This one's James? got 2.1 million. Right. You guys can mock. Popular club. Seriously, you Anglos can sit and mock. We're sitting here in London, metropolitan area of 25 million, people going on about grime and this and that nonsense, what a great musical city it is. How many songs does Harry Kane have? Uh, he's one of our own. It's just a bunch of Spurs fans in the stand singing that. Anyway, okay. I think this is there's a whole untapped vein here. You're so right, Gabriel. contemporary music. Okay, well let's let's set up a label. Nice. Yeah. If those things still exist, do they? Well, let's just drop stuff. Yeah. You know. Anyway, um, we're here to talk about the subject of that first song, Fabio Qualiarella. The man, l'uomo dei gol impossibile, no? And Saturday, of course, he scored one of his most impossibly ever cross dentro Quagliarella col tacco da impazzire Fabio Quagliarella 3-0 Samp gol capolavoro del grande ex una giocata destinata ad entrare nella storia di questa serie a team Were you watching this as it took place Gabriele Indeed I was I was watching it What did you say when you saw him do that I don't know if I can repeat this on a family broadcast right even for Quagliarella though it was shocking yeah but he had one like it didn't he I think he's he's tried something uh like it in the past but then again yeah I mean if you look at his top 10 goals (laughs) it's ridiculous it's they could be the the you know the goals of the decade Mm. you know and they'd all be scored by him we saw Pastore score yeah one similar in that was this was completely different though I mean yeah was tell us about this one then well, he's uh, he's got his back to goal. The cross doesn't come in from from the side, really. It's from it's not a deep cross, is it? Mm. It's from a sort of like um, he's a distance out as well. Yeah, and it's not played in like the Pastore one, where it's uh, kind of at ground level. He has to right. leap 
and he connects with it so sweetly that he lifts the ball rather than just helps it on its way. He seems to lift it and, and guide it towards the far post. Better than Mancini against Palmer? Yeah. Better than Mancini, too, mm. if you remember that, that one. Uh, although, obviously, that was a dog. Yeah, I mean, look, the goals have context, right? And this is a goal to make it 3 0, so maybe we view it differently than a goal in a derby and whatever. But it is remarkable that Quagliarella's highlights compilation can match the greatest players in history. Anybody, maybe even surpass a lot of them. And the other odd thing about Quagliarella, correct me if I'm wrong, James, but. I don't remember him trying really difficult stuff and missing. It's it's not like he tries an overhead kick from the edge of the, edge of the box ten times a game mm. and misses, you know, ten of them. Like when he tries difficult things, they usually work out. Mm. And it's just one of those mysteries why he, you know, and not that he's been a bad player, but no. But for most of his career, he's been essentially a highlights player. He's not. He's not he, ever gone between as a forward. He's not ever scored more than thirteen goals in a season until last year at Samp, Sampdoria. But I mean, I've, I don't know when you first kind of noticed him. I think around about two thousand and six, when you went to Sampdoria was when there were a couple of his his greatest ever goals. One incredible overhead kick that was against uh, Regina, no? Mm-hmm. Oh, Regina, sorry. Yeah, and I think. Uh was it at Samp as well where he scored that insane goal from uh, just inside the opposition's half yes. on the turn? <laughs> yeah, it's just um, pretty extraordinary. I mean, there's that story about him when he was at Udinese, which I think until last season was his best. And this was 2008-2009. He scored maybe close to 20, if not more than 20 goals in all competitions for them that year. And that was around the time when Inter were obviously dominating under Jose Mourinho. And Inter went and played them in Udine and, you know, legend has it that Mourinho came up to him just as the Inter players were about to get on the bus back to Milan and said, do you want to get on the bus and, and come with us? You know, we want we want you. And it didn't happen. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's won a couple of league titles in that Conte Juventus, Juventus side, um, made his contribution to, to that, scored some back heels, I think, in, in that mm. sort of cl- more classic kind of bettiger Mancini back heels than um, than the one he scored the other night, but I mean, there's this this argument with uh, Qualiarella that he's a, a scorer of fine goals rather than a fine goal scorer. But mm. in City at the moment, he's the most prolific player still playing in the league. He scored yep. what 120 28 I think 128 goals yep. in City at 19 goals last season at Sampdoria, mm. where obviously things have begun to come together, and we'll talk about the reasons for that very very shortly. But his insane goals. For Sampdoria, then a couple of scenes at Udinese, won the boy from Castellamare di Stabia. His dream move to his home city, Napoli, his club that he'd always supported, uh, which is where it, it all went wrong. And this is an extraordinary story. Uh, well, it already started <laughs> to go wrong at Udinese. Um, that's when you're talking about the stalker story. Yeah. Right? So he's he goes back home and his, his account has been hacked. Mm. His social media, I think, has been. I think this was at the time when it was his MSN Messenger. There you go. So, luckily, a friend of his has a um, a policeman friend, a guy who works in the uh, postal fraud, cyber security, and cyber security of of the Neapolitan police force, who offers to to help him out. And uh, actually, I'm not sure if it was hacked originally. Correct me if I'm wrong here. I think he just had some sort of computer program problem or like a corrupted hard drive or something which is why he takes it into the shop mm. 
He didn't take it to a computer shop. He takes it to a Vodafone. Owned by a friend of his. Owned by a friend of his. Who's been helped out by this guy, Raffaele Piccolo, who's the uh, postal policeman, which is uh, an interesting niche of the... (laughs) of the constabulary. Um, but anyway, despite this guy's investigations into, you know, what's going on, Qualiella uh, starts to receive increasingly dramatic letters suggesting that he's involved in the Camorra, the, the organised crime, match-fixing, drugs, and, and even child pornography. And, and this just goes on and gets worse. Letters are sent to his, his parents. Letters he then begins to understand are sent to his club as well, Napoli, who significant... local anti-mafia... Director right. suggesting that he was involved with the the Camorra and that they should look into him and his affairs. The club, meanwhile, suggests that he moves house to closer to the club headquarters and live a more quiet life, which he takes as a as a suggestion that they completely believe the stuff that they're being sent. Next thing he knows, after one season in Naples at his boyhood club, he sold to Juventus, much to the wrath of the fans who, who regarded his arrival as, as the return of one of their own and, and his departure then to the hated rivals in the north as a real betrayal. And in the curious way that supporters will do when a club decides to sell a player, they, they turned on him. <laughs> Now, I don't know if you already know how this story turns out, listener, or, or can guess, but a dramatic twist is in store. Yeah, Quagliarella's dad, Vittorio, um, essentially finds out who the stalker is. And it is? And it's Raffaele Piccolo, the guy who helped him, supposedly helped him, solve this IT problem. And if it hadn't been for the pesky dad, he'd, he'd have gotten away with it as well. <laughs> but the, So the, yeah. this doesn't help quite a lot of that much, or that at least they've now managed to resolve the issue of all these appalling messages and, 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 and blackmail threats that are being sent. Because well, also, I mean, just to go back on when he mm-hmm. moved to Naples, because this did start happening beforehand. He's a local kid. He gets this dream move. And they throw a party for him in Castellamari, Stabia. And the night before that party, his dad gets these text messages saying, be careful, we're watching. And then the next day, uh, the day of the party, gets um, gets a message saying, this time we're going to shoot Fabio for real. And they chose to keep that um, from Fabio. They didn't want to spoil his evening, but he could pretty much tell from their body language that night that they were really anxious when they're in sort of crowds. There's at one stage one of those sort of mini little trucks that usually put flowers on the back that comes in and they... Wait, and, about an apicar? Yeah, there you go. And, uh, and these fireworks start going off and these parents panic. They're terrified. They think something really bad has happened and they think there's, there's an attempt on his life. And, yeah, it's only later that they tell him, you know, we've got all these death threats in amongst, for example, a coffin being sent to the... Yeah. A picture, I think, of a coffin with his... Well, no, it's a coffin they with, actually with, sent the with coffin. a picture of Fabio's okay. face on it. Wow. We, we should explain perhaps why this was being done also. It's a part of the story. I mean, obviously, he was a tremendous victim in, in all this. That, you know, that, that part's obvious. But this was being done, and even though it hasn't fully come out, but I think most reasonable people would expect that somebody was trying to extort money and favors from him. And, that, and actually, I mean, we're giving you a flavor of it. If you want to go and read something very long about this and very detailed and very good, there's a piece on, um, it was put up by Bleacher Report last year, a journalist called Kelly Naki, N-A-Q-I. Um, and that just 
So she went sort of forensically afterwards and kind of rebuilt the whole thing. And when you said like, it's funny when you said like his dad, Vittorio, busted him, this Raffaele Piccolo guy, this, this postman. This is why, by the way, you should all get mean, angry dogs and never trust your postman. Um, the guy wasn't really busted in the sense that he still... This is the amazing thing. So he's he was, still awaiting trial. He's just been moved to some other division. I mean, he's a complete weirdo, yeah. clearly. Mm. And presumably he's not allowed near computers anymore. But but his dad twigs because one day this guy who's become part of the family because mm-hmm. they believe he's the only guy who can protect them and help them against this stalker. He says, I've received threats for the first time. Yeah, they know I'm helping you out. They're They're, they're trying to get to me now. And Fabio's dad says, you know, what time did they send you these messages? And he says, oh, they sent me them at 10 to 10. And Fabio's dad looks at the clock and it's 20 to 10 that day. And he's like, okay, well, that doesn't square. Well, they're sending messages from the future. (laughs) Exactly. So he's like, hmm, this is a bit weird. He then goes to meet him a few days later and says, show me the message that you've been sent. And yeah, he makes a Raffaello makes this show of kind of going on his phone, trying to find it. Oh, I deleted it. And Fabio's dad is like, "Well, you've told us never to delete anything, right? Never to get rid of evidence, keep it so we can show it to the authorities and all this sort of thing." So then he gets really suspicious, and yeah, I think contacts a lawyer. Lawyer advises him to wear a wire, see if he can sort of I don't know get some more information out of him, and ultimately this leads them to to find out that he is. I think they go to the payphone outside of, of Raffaele Piccolo's house and find out that while a lot of the number is kind of disguised for uh-huh. privacy, the three three of the final numbers in it are more or less the same as a lot that had been used to send the text messages. Right. And that's that's where they end, they end up getting him, essentially. So this part of it is resolved, but for Quagliarella, who's basically been chased out of his home, uh, out of his, his club... He played his prime years mm. between 26 and 32 on the kind of scale of harassment and intimidation, which I think is beyond most people's and imagination. And hated, hated by a large number of fans from his home city. And he still, because the case was now a legal matter, he still couldn't say anything yeah. until 2017, well, till just last year. And, and, and this is also the bad thing, which, you know, I think Napoli as a club bear some responsibility, right? Because when you've got a player at a medium to high tier club, but not one of the absolute big boys who leaves to go join somebody else. It would be, it would be as if Harry Kane left Spurs for Manchester United. You know, people would say like, oh look, he's being greedy. You know, why did you sell him? Blah, blah, blah. To which it's very easy for the club to say, well, he wanted to leave. They're, tri- they're, you know, they're, they're tripling his wages. You know, the club couldn't come out and say he's being you know, he's being blacked by some lunatic or, or I, I think, think they, they probably, knew. well, maybe they did. I think a serious club would have hired a serious investigator. And this, I mean, it's Raffaele Piccola, as you can tell from the story, mm-hmm. these people involved are not exactly rocket scientists. I, and I say this about the Qualera clan, obviously it's dad Vittorio, I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, you feel for them, but you know, th- these aren't people who necessarily got the best advice at any, uh, at every turn, but whatever. But the point is, yeah, they clearly made it seem as if, like, you know, oh, look, you know, hometown kid, but in the end, it's all about the money and the glory. And, it, and it, it, this is, to me, this is the really sad part of the story, is that he had to turn his back on, on his team. Mm. And, you know, it's not that often that, that you get somebody who's, you know, he's Neapolitan, he's a Napoli fan, 
and he gets to play for, for Naples, which is really all that, that he ever wanted. And in the end, you know, or at least for several years, he became sort of this absolutely hated uh, figure. The whole thing reads a little bit like a, the plot to a Michael Keaton film. Michael Keaton very much as he in the, the stalker role. Uh, the film rights, I'm not sure who's on top of those right now. Uh, but one of the amazing things kind of reading on from this is the fact that Piccolo was sentenced but still has two appeals, which had to be completed by March of this year, and I don't think they were, which means that I think he's not going to see any jail time despite being absolutely banged to rights. Anyway, the really good news is that Qualiarella certainly seems to have moved on. Last season, as we mentioned, was his best ever 19 goals, leading active scorer now in, in Syria, and this weekend scoring that absolutely fabulous goal. He's only got this season left at Sam, but they haven't renewed his contract. That's Not right. Yeah, yeah. But do you think they will or might a move to? You never know yet? with an owner like Ferrero, kind of calling the shots. You would, you would, you would think that um, that they would uh, extend his contract. I mean, he's seen as an experienced vet in a in a young team, you know, who needs kind of that kind of guidance. Mm. You know, Gab's rolling his eyes. A move back to Napoli. Well, I mean, he's... What does that be romantic? I don't yeah. know. I, just when you mentioned Ferreiro, I just think of <laughs> how much he disliked the guy. Although, I got to give him credit. He does have one of the best nicknames of of any club owner. Viperetta, yeah. which means small female viper. You know, so he gets a double whammy of being small, which he is, of being female, which he most definitely is is not, and, you know, being a little snake. Right. Okay. There's a lot to unpack from that <laughs> nickname, but I, I think we'll just move on and say, may Qualiola go on scoring goals like this, wherever it'll be, for a long time yet. Boom, boom. And boom, boom, Qualiola. Boom, boom. You're listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. So the weekend... Qualiarella, not the only player to score with a back heel, actually. I'm talking about Nicolas Spoli. Oh. <laughs> the, 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 the very unfortunate, the very unfortunate uh, Autorete <laughs> own goal in, the, in Sassuolo's 5-3 win over Genoa. I mean, he looked like he'd, he'd done enough to keep the ball out and then thought, better of it and might as well finish this <laughs> uh, yeah. eight goals in that game Sassuolo uh, looking amazing ever. yeah you're looking off great, to meet huh? um, Kevin Prince Boateng next week yeah right? hopefully yeah well, I, I mean you really want to break down that rap video that we talked about oh yeah a couple of weeks ago mm. but yeah you should get him to, to critique Colini's effort yeah and what started like a uh, rap battle yeah, yeah. like yeah definitely now, all sorts of other things happened this weekend. Uh, for example, Spal lost their perfect record. Atlanta, who'd been knocked out of Europe by that nil-nil draw against Copenhagen, lost where, to Cagliari. Where Andreas Cornelius, the former Copenhagen striker, who'd obviously moved to Atlanta on the basis he scored goals in, in Europe, misses the key penalty against his former side and is then binned off to Bordeaux the next day. Oh, wow. <laughs> Cornelius, of course... Um, Welsh listeners, you may remember him from his glorious time at, at Cardiff and how his signing indirectly, I think, helped get several people to sack and raise the ire of one Mr. Vincent Tan. Also this weekend, Juve won 2-1 at Parma. They're the only club still with a perfect record. Milan, big win for them. 
last minute against Roma and Napoli went behind. This time, no comeback in that game against Guadalajara Sampdoria. 3-0 the scoreline there. Let's have a quick chat about what came out of the urn for Napoli, Roma, Inter and Juventus, the four Italian sides in, in the Champions League. Who should be most worried and who should most worry the opposition, would you say? I think Napoli should probably be the most worried. They've got um, Liverpool, PSG and Red Star. Yeah. They've got a Champions League specialist as their manager. They have. Um, but I think they've got a, a few problems to sort out. When you when you think about the front threes that they're going to be coming up against, Mbappe, Neymar, Cavani, Mane, Salah and Firmino. And the Red Star one. And they're at the moment, consider, <laughs> at the moment they're conceding, what, two goals a game? I and, think... And you also think of David Ospina as well. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't understand this. You know, I, I adore Ancelotti, but Ospina, really? Like, this, this Italian obsession, oh, no, we need to have an expert goalkeeper. And look, he used to play for Arsenal. He must be good. He must be experienced. You know, why not give the guys you have a chance? Mm. Um, even that guy, Sepe, who obviously moved on, isn't that bad. Yeah, I mean, he, know, <laughs> he did pretty well against Juve at the, the weekend. I, mm. It's, it, but, but, but I think... I don't think they've played as badly as their results suggest. It's weird. We, 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 we tend to like dumb things down, right? So the first two games, they go behind, they come back like, oh, look, Ancelotti's a genius because he gets them to come back, right? And then they get spanked and everybody's like, oh, look, you know, Ancelotti's a fool because they can see goals. I thought they played okay. They played very well in the second half, I thought. And, you know, in the first half, if Munich's goal stands... right. You know, that whole game takes Which a different turn. Which it kind of should have stood, oh, no? It should have. I mean, that was, that was ridiculous. It's not like, you know, it's not like Nat Lofthouse running into the goalkeeper. It was, if anything, it was a goalkeeper running into him. Right. Mm. Yeah. Also, put the ball, mean, let's not forget that Juventus were 3-0 down against Samp going into stoppage time last year at Marassi. Mm. Samp turned over Milan, well, by four goals. I mean, it's it's not an easy place to go for anyone. I think uh, Giampaolo certainly made made that place a very, very tough proposition for for even the top sides that said you're quite concerned about Napoli's prospects in the Champions League what about Inter with uh, Spurs Barcelona and PSV I think that's a that that that's a really tough draw as well and you knew you know Inter being in the fourth pot you know that you know, the draw was going to do them no favors but PSV just started the season well um Inter have a way of of engaging in self-harm more so than any other team although funny enough, Spurs could probably give them a run uh, for their money in, in that respect. But, you know, Spurs are simply uh, a better drilled side with more of an identity, better players in most positions. And and I think, you know, with, with Valverde, Barcelona are just, they're more balanced. I mean, in the long term, they're probably not, I don't think they'll reach the heights they reached before necessarily, but for a knockout competition and or even a, a group stage format, I think they're ideally placed. Okay. Should we move on to some exciting news then? What's that? Wednesday's Gazeta de la Sport breaking the return of Berlusconi and Galliani, the duo that ruled for 31 years over Milan, the greatest 31 years in their history, 29 trophies won in that time. Berlusconi, who finally let go of his beloved Rossoneri. In good hands, as he promised to. <laughs> <laughs> Milan in, in better shape now, but Berlusconi has decided that he he wants to get back into the game and he's gone for... Mont- well, he might be going. Apparently, people from Fininvest 
have have made inquiries about Monza, who who play about five kilometres from the Berlusconi residence at Arcore and are currently down in the third division. Do you think he'll go by helicopter? Or? You'd hope so. I've got to say, you know, politically, we don't share much of, you know, we're not on the same Venn diagram, really. But in football terms, if I'm a Monza fan, I'd be so excited if I thought Berlusconi was going to take over my club. I am a Monza fan, and I'm not Are you a Monza fan? Yeah, I mean... Um, as, as well as one or two other clubs? I think that once you get into this business, it's really hard to support a club, so you become a fan of individuals. Because I don't cover lower league Italian football... Um, I needed something to express my fandom in, and Monza were compelling because they're okay. very close to, uh, to to where my mom lives and, uh-huh. and where um, that side of my family's from, and um, because they've they through the years they had players who who then left, but who absolutely adored like uh, like Spadino Robbiati and uh, and of course very briefly, but you know that's where the legendary Gigi Casiraghi, mm. the original prince, um, made his name and. And of course, he went back there and coached a bit, didn't he? Yes, not with much success. A lot Is of that good under people. Clarence Sadoff's wonderful yes, Clarence time as Sadoff's owner. Not, yeah, <laughs> I mean, the, 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 the club's been driven to the ground. It's been, you know, like it's, it's it's impossible to compete. It went bankrupt three years ago. Uh, three years ago, four years ago. Oh, okay, but recently, but, yeah. Yeah. Speaking and, of their ground, Gab, I mean, that's quite a big, big place now for a third sort of third division size, and it's something like eighteen, twenty-one thousand, or something like that. It feels like a yeah, it's cathedral in the desert. But you know, Monza are a team that they, you know, we. I think I think they spent more seasons in Serie B than they have any other league, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So you know, the the backgrounds there, um, and of course, Adriano Galliani used yeah. to uh, be their involved, vice, vice president. He, he was involved with Monza, yeah, before yeah. moving on to uh, to some other club. So, in Milan. do you think there's substance to this story, and are you excited about it? I'm in two minds about it because look, if you're Adriano Galliani, right? you've made all the money you're ever going to make, right? So you're not getting involved here for personal profit. Presumably, you still have all the contacts and all the expertise, which seems to matter so much in Italian football. So, you know, why not get involved? Galliani, by the way, is the, the kind of Dr. Evil-looking figure or, or, or fester for some people who mm, would, yeah. would be sat traditionally in the stands, sometimes alongside the uh, inflatable plastic figure that, that was... Silvio Berlusconi. That was. Are you assuming he's... I don't know what he looks like He's now. been replaced by some kind of <laughs> avatar. Possibly so. <laughs> but there was there was a moment, I mean, among Berlusconi's many crazy ideas, some of them turned out to be rather prescient and very good, others less so, when, you know, Monza were going to be like a farm team to Milan in the golden years and in, in, in the late 80s and they would send all their excess players there and, you know, maybe he's hoping to get some guys on loan. I, I, I don't know. But... Put it this way, having those guys involved in an Italian, in Italian football at a club, and I say this again as a fan of the club, where they can't really do that much damage relative to what the club's been through before, might just add to the entertainment value. You're listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. Friday brings Italy's debut in the uh, Nations League and First official games for Roberto Mancini's Azuri. Mancini, a, a conflicted figure in Azuri history because of tremendous talent, never really got the run in the side that he deserved, too much of a rebel uh, because he really was a handful as a player. And, and too many other great players who happened to play the same position. You know, it's the same argument. Often called Zola. Roberto as well. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. the other one, well, I was going to mention Gianfranco Zola, but the other one, obviously, the guy called Roberto was also pretty good. Yeah. Mm. 
Yeah. Anyway, so now he's had two games already in charge, mm-hmm. and he's his squad selection here. We're going to see how it gets on against uh, Poland on Friday at uh, the Stadio dell'Are in Bologna, and then they're away against Portugal in Lisbon three days later. Too. A Ronaldo-less Portugal. Oh. Although you know, if Ronaldo were playing, he probably wouldn't score anyway because he's such a big flop. No, but his coaching influence might be vital. Yeah, true. To them. true. Uh, it's it's uh, a young squad selection from Mancini. I mean, there are a lot of new faces, but. Part of the reason for that. Exactly, it's thirty-one. Thirty-one, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I mean, he's. I think he wants to make a bit of a point, doesn't he? Um, You know, in 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 calling up uh, Zaniolo, who has never played in Serie A, has been kind of one of those kind of bargaining chips that you see thrown around in in deals between big clubs. So, for example, when Nainggolan went to Inter, yeah, they got Zaniolo. Um, who was part of the under-19 side that reached the final of the European Championship this summer. And, yeah, Mancini's banging the drum that, oh, it's never been this bad. There are only 39%, 39% of the players who played the first three match days in Serie A are Italian. I've got, no, I've got no one to call upon, so I'm just going to get these kids like Pellegri, for example, who's now in Monaco. And he's um, still only, what, 17? Yeah, and he's, he, scored, he scored his first goal. Was it the other week in, in Liga? But, you know, he's had to go home because he's pulled a muscle. Right. I was down but, there, you know, and I spoke to... In Florence? No, Monaco. And I spoke okay. to director, Monaco's director of football, who was Chelsea's old director mm. of football, one Michael Amanala, when they absolutely adore Pellegrini. I mean, he's obviously not going to start because they have Falcao, but um, they, he was just so high on him because... I don't know how much you've seen him. We always saw the highlights, right? Because he's basically, he's this guy who's just, he's like a giant. Yeah, like Zaniolo in that sense. He's, I mean, these, these guys are huge for their age. Yeah. And I couldn't tell if, right, is this the kid who was like, you know, Bullying. six foot four when he was like 10 years old and he's just like bigger and like, ha, ha, ha. Or does he have something about him? And and he said that actually what's amazing, he you know, indirectly, there was something Drogba-esque about him because he's got this confidence and this physicality and he takes on, like, you know, Camel Glick and Jemerson in training and these guys bounce off him. So, yes, you know, he's not he's not Ibrahimovic. He doesn't have that, you know, or Arnautovic, of course. But he he is somebody to get excited about because he's a battering grand and he loves the physicality of it and he's a tremendous athlete. He's got a great attitude and... Mancini's whinging about not enough foreign players, yada, yada, yada. I'm kind of excited about the players that we do have. And, you know. Chiesa at the weekend. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know. I mean, he's, uh, he just keeps keeps progressing. Yeah, I mean, I think there are some some very promising players coming through. And you look at what they've done at youth level, getting on the 20s mm-hmm. to the World Cup semi-final. I mentioned the under-19s getting a European Championship final. They say the problem is what do these kids do when they... You know, they progress from the under twenty ones. Do they get the kind of game time they need? Same problem in all the countries. Oh, tutto il mondo in paese. Yeah. Mm. All right, but broadly optimistic for Mancini's Italy. Mm-hmm. We'll see how they get on Friday against Poland. Against they? the most prolific striker in Europe's top five leagues now. Damn. Piontek, who uh, Genoa have signed, wow. and he just can't Real stop scoring. There. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, yeah. Nice. Pontic, Milik, and Lewandowski. So wow. It's a yeah. Dream team. Mm. All right. Okay. Galato will return next Wednesday. Gabriele, many thanks for being with us today and yourself. James Horncastle, our new listener from all of us here. It's Arrivederci. Gabriele, Italiano.
You've been listening to Galazzo, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and make sure you check out our other podcasts this season. The Totally Football League show with Caroline Barker and the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven. <laughs>